Philippians chapter 2 is where we're at today. We're going to look through verses 14 through 18. We're going to pick up on what we did uh, just last week on obedience. If you were here last Sunday, you remember that our sermon was on obedience. And Paul writes to the church that he's encouraged by them because they always obey. But he's telling them even more so now to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. He wants them to strive to be obedient. He wants it to be an obedient church. And where we're going now is the same, same, same discussion, same context, same stuff. He's still talking about obedience, all right? Uh, you know, a lot of people, if they were preaching through Philippians, probably would have covered 12 through 18 together. Uh, but I really wanted to hit on that obedience and work out your own salvation like we did last week. So today we are just going 14 through 18. And we are going to see as I have written in the bulletin, why obedience matters. You know, we don't like to have this conversation. We don't like to say that our obedience is helpful and our disobedience is hurtful. We don't like to say that, but it's true. It's true in the church. There can be damage done to the kingdom of God. There can be damage done to the witness of a church. You know that. And there can be... um, Good examples. There can be positive examples, right? And we need to be honest about this. And this is what our passage is on today. Read with me Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I love reading these New Testament letters. It's the missionary Paul writing to a church, and you can just see that there is this connection by faith in Jesus. And if we're honest here today, and I feel like I say this all the time in the middle of the week in our small group Bible studies, but if we're honest here today, if you're focused on Christ, then these teachings in the Bible make sense. If you are not focused on Christ, then you don't get this, right? It's like the ears to hear thing, the eyes to see thing that Jesus often talks about. If you know that life is about following Jesus and worship to God, then reading this makes sense to you. And even now, as we're just getting started this morning, you sense that as we read it. Verse 12 says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, Much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And then he rolls into this passage. Here we have a passage on the the, the effectiveness of obedience and therefore uh, the negative effect of disobedience. I'm going to give you three points here today, all of them on obedience, but before I do, I want to make sure, okay, we have to be very sensitive to this. I want to make sure that you are not thinking that I'm just talking about obedience, meaning goodness, or you being a good person, or you doing good works. That is not what I mean. That's not what I mean. When I say obedience, I am talking about a faith-driven obedience. 
I'm talking about being faithful even over and above being obedient. Doing what God says to do more so than doing what's right. I'm okay with having the discussion of doing what's right. When I drop my kids off for school in the morning and I say a quick prayer with them, I'd say probably half the time I remind them that leaders do the right thing. I don't care how many people are doing the wrong thing, leaders do the right thing, and we ought to be found doing the right thing. And I'm okay to talk that way at times, but my kids and you all should never think that our doing the right thing has earned us something, because it doesn't, not in the eyes of God. And I want to make sure up front, because I'm going to say the word obedience a whole lot here today in this message, and I'm not talking about goodness, and I'm not talking about earning anything in the sight of God. I'm not. You cannot. You will never be good enough or obedient enough to get yourself right with God. You will never be obedient enough or good enough to get yourself to heaven. You will not. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and every one of us, even the finest people in our midst, every one of us are desperately in need of the mercy of God. Every single one of us. You need to know that. You need to know that. You need to stop sticking your chest out. You need to stop patting yourself on the back. You need to stop thinking that you're a good Christian. I hear that phrase so much. Oh, she's a good Christian. Don't even know what that means. We're all bad Christians. We all need Jesus, right? We all need Jesus. We all fall short of the glory of God. And we need to keep our perspective there. We need to have faith-driven obedience. Because we need Jesus, because we need forgiveness, because we have it in God, because he loves us even though we're not very lovable, because he loves us, then we get to obey. We can obey. We obey to get nothing in return. We just obey because he loves us. You've got to understand that before I even get going talking about obedience from faith. We're talking about obedience that believes the truth of the word of God, okay? We're talking about obedience that comes out of, I know what God says, I know what God wants from me, he's a good father in heaven, he loves me most, his way is best, I can trust him, that type of obedience, okay? All right, so number one, faithful obedience proves We are the children of God. Faithful obedience proves we are the children of God. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Another verse says, another translation says, without complaining or arguing. Perhaps your Bible says that, right? Hey, Christians are to be people who don't complain. And I know that may be hard for you to hear this morning, And you may be used to complaining. You may think it's cool to complain. You may think it's funny to complain. You may think that it's your right to complain because you do things so well that it's frustrating when people don't do things well. I know where complaints come from. Bible says that we don't complain. You know why? Because we walk by faith, meaning we trust our God. We entrust ourselves to a faithful creator, the Bible says. We are not to be complaining people. If God has you going through a trial, he has you going through a trial. Now, if you want to complain about yourself because you're disappointed in yourself, then go ahead. We'd love to hear you start complaining about you. That would model humility. You can start complaining about you. But complaining about everybody else is often a lack of faith in showing that you're frustrated with the plan of God, with the will of God. Recently, my son Eli was reading the book of Job. That's hard for a kid to read. You got two chapters with a lot of context. You got the last four chapters with a lot of context. And you got like 38 chapters right in the middle that are just uh, 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 walking through the mud. And Eli was trying to make sense of chapter four and chapter five and all of that. And he's asking me questions about Job. And so 
I sat down and tried to start explaining some of that to him. You've seriously got 36 chapters in the book of Job where they're trying to figure out should he be able to complain or not. That's what Job's about. Is this fair, is this not fair, and is this complaint legitimate? That's what it's about. Should Job be complaining or should he not be complaining, right? That's what the whole thing is about. And at the end, God speaks up and literally says to Job, God wrecked Job's life. Or rather, God let Satan wreck wreck Job's life. He did. That's what the Bible says. Now, we won't say God did it. I didn't mean that. Satan did it. But God let Satan do it. You know the story of Job. And Job literally suffers through all of this. And at the end of it, God speaks up, and for four straight chapters, he questions Job to his face and says, do you really want to question me? Do you want to complain? Did I make a mistake, Job? Am I not trustworthy? Can I not take care of you? Do I not know what I'm doing? Do I not know how to love you and provide for you and take care of you? Do I not know how to get glory out of your life, Job? Do I not know how to make you a faithful witness? And he puts Job in his place and says, Job, do not complain against me in my ways. Do not complain about what your life has become under the lordship of God. And Paul writes, not a long time ago to Job, Paul writes to the church in Philippi and says, do all things without a complaining, disgruntled, grumbling, disputing, arguing attitude. Josh Womble just prayed right there that we would be a church that's easy to serve. Did y'all hear that? Did y'all hear that? It's easy to be critical. It's easy to say that's not how I do it. If you do this, you do it better. It's easy to be that way. We want to be people who understand that life is a, a trek, that life is hard, decisions are hard to make. We want to press forward in faithfulness. And if something isn't going just the way we think that it would go, it's not a place for us to speak up with grumbling or disputing. And don't get me wrong, there's a time to express your opinion, and we know that. But we also need to see that he says here, don't do it. You need to be wise about where you're going to speak up. Can you trust or can you trust? He goes on from there to really get into obedience. He says, don't do that so that you may be blameless and innocent. So listen, there must be something to the fact that complaining, arguing, grumbling, and disputing, whether it's right or justified, still kind of makes you look like the problem. You may be right, but what if you're known as being a complainer? Man, it's hot in here today. Josh, can y'all turn it down? Man, your sermons are too long. Josh, can they just get a little bit shorter? I mean, Josh, you should have done this, and you should have done that, and you should have done this, and you should have done that. And maybe you're always right. I mean, I probably are always right. But next thing you know, you're a complainer. You see what I'm saying? And Paul writes to the church, if you're complaining and arguing, grumbling and disputing, then you're not blameless and innocent. And here's why he says it, because look what he says next. Children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So here's what we know. The world is struggling, life is hard, sin is everywhere, things are not as they should be, and we know that. Every family that I know has hardship and trials. Every one of us struggle at times. We have good days and bad days. All of us say things at times we wish we hadn't said. All of us complain at times and we wish we weren't complainers, right? Life is hard. 
And the Bible shows us that in this world, it's kind of hard to see if God is real. God says he's a life changer. God says that he gets inside of people spiritually and changes hearts and causes them to believe and love him. That's what he says. That's what the new covenant says, that God goes into people, changes their lives, gives them the new birth, and makes them live for God. The Bible says that clear as can be. And I look around, I'm like, ain't nobody out here changed. If I look around in the world, being honest with myself, is anybody really changed, right? And there's times where you think that way. Man, we're all just the same. We all get jealous, we all get prideful, we all get weak, we all complain, we all insult, we all you know, get a bad attitude at times, right? And Paul is telling the church that what God is doing in the world with his people is he's changing them to live for God. And it is God's desire, listen, for the world to be able to see that God is real through people. It is God's desire for the world to look around and be able to see obedience in people, and they don't think, wow, they're good. They think, where did that come from? That's why I'm saying it can't be goodness. It must be faith-driven obedience. God wants the world to be challenged by his obedient children. He doesn't want us to be thinking that we're better than them. He doesn't want us to act like it. He wants us to lay down our lives and humble ourselves to the point of obedience like, like it said Jesus did. You remember that earlier in this chapter? But he wants us to so live differently and so live godly and so live obedient that the world is challenged. How are they that way? Why are they that way? That we would be children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Obedience proves that we are the children of God. You don't have to turn there, but I do want you to write down Ezekiel 36, 27. Don't turn there, but write it down. Listen to this verse when God is describing what he's going to do in changing hearts. He says, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Listen to this. I will put my spirit within you, listen to this, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God creates in people this desire to walk in his ways. And God creates in people a carefulness to obey. You may not see it much, but it's real. And when you ever see somebody, not because it's earning anything, but all because of the blood of Jesus, not because it means they're good, but it means he's good, walking in obedience, you can be sure that's a child of God. You can be sure that God is real. Now, if you don't know anybody that you think is trying to obey God from the heart, then I'm sorry. But I hope you'll stick around long enough and let us introduce you to some people who in the deep of their soul want to obey God. I never forget that story in Genesis where Joseph is risen to the top. His whole life has been a, a mistake of accidents and things going wrong. And he finds himself in an isolated place. Nobody's around. It's just him and Potiphar's wife, beautiful woman, and she wants him. She's been wanting him, and he's been avoiding it. And nobody would know, nobody would know, nobody would know. And she snatches his coat, and she wants him to be intimate with him. And nobody would have known. And Joseph's answer that day is one that is real like this. He says, how dare I do this and sin against God? 
You remember that? His concern there was sinning against God. His concern was not hooking up for himself or hooking up for her. His concern was not how handsome he was or how attractive she was. His concern was not what if her husband finds out because that's what most people in the world today would be concerned about. What if he finds out? He didn't give a rip about that. His whole life had been him being accused falsely for things. That's his story. His concern, even in that moment, was how dare I sin against God. God makes people like that. God changes hearts and lives and makes people that want to obey. He does. Obedience, faithful obedience, proves that we are the children of God when somebody wants to obey. Now, if you're not bothered by your sins, you don't feel conviction, you don't turn to God and ask for forgiveness, you never know how to apologize, then this is not a faith-driven obedience. I want to remind you that obedience is just not doing the right things, but obedience is responding in repentance to the wrong things. That is a sign of obedience. Listen, let's be honest. We all sinned this week, didn't we? But I hope you prayed and asked God to forgive you. I hope you apologized to the person that you offended. And that means you're a Christian. That means you're a child of God. I hope you're not here today going, well, I didn't sin this week. No, I hope you're here today because you believe Jesus died for your sins and you're asking him for forgiveness and you're trusting in him as that's the way you're right with God. And there you are proving to show that you are a child of God. And when there are people in the world living for God out of a heart that wants to obey, it's challenging to the world. And that's what he says. Look what it says. In the midst of of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Listen, we, we're not shaking our head because the world's so bad. We get that. Were it not for grace, we'd be there too. And at times, we still are there too. And we understand that. But we know that God wants us to be obedient in the face of a whole lot of disobedience. I can't tell you how many times, even Liliana, she's in four-year-old preschool. And when I take her to school, I say, Lily, if, if the teacher says for y'all to not talk, and every other kid in that class is talking, what should you be doing? Not talking. Hey, if the teacher says for y'all to not get up, I remember one time something crazy was going out in the parking lot, and they said that every single kid ran over to the window to look out what's going on in the parking lot. And I said, if every single kid is up there looking out the, the window and the teacher told you to not look out the window, what should you be doing? Sitting in your seat. If there's 16 kids in the class and 15 are looking out the window, the one that desires to be obedient ought to be sitting over there. That's what God does inside of us. And it is challenging to everybody around us. I remember just a couple days ago, you know, we've had a couple nice sunny days here recently. And, and, and if I'm honest, y'all, I haven't been running much lately and I'm feeling so guilty about it. And I was tired, and I was really feeling it, and I was going home. I said, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to get me a little nap, man. I hope, I hope nothing's going on at home. I'm going to lay down. I'm going to take me a little nap before we get running. And when I pulled in the neighborhood, guess what there was? Guy running, running shorts, running shoes, running, and I felt so bad about it. And I started thinking, this guy's putting me to shame. I want to be running, but I'm thinking about a nap. He's out here running, and it challenged me. Listen, your life, your humility, your marriage, your home, your parenting. It shouldn't be better than anybody else. But it should be a wake-up call to those around us. Why are they so committed? Why are they trying hard? 
Why are they insisting on certain ways? Why do they say no to uh, good things so they can aim for better things? Why are they so strict at times? Why are they so devoted and committed? The way we live in obedience ought to be challenging to those who who are indifferent toward obedience. Listen, it doesn't take long at all for you to realize that if you're not gonna strive for obedience, you're gonna find yourself in a mess of disobedience. Let's be honest about that. If you are not going to strive for obedience, you will find yourself in a mess of disobedience. It will. We do not drift. We do not coast into obedience. It doesn't happen. There must be a focus. But when you find people obedient from the heart, okay, not goodness, not earning it, but obedience from a heart that loves God, when you find that, it proves that there are children of God. And now is a good time for me to show what it says next. It says, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, look at this, holding fast to the word of life. Holding fast. It's not a shot in the dark for us. We are seriously wanting to do life the way God tells us to. We believe that God gave us this book to be a guide for us. We believe that God gave us this book so that it would reveal to us how we get right with God, how we can know God. He says in here what it means to be a human being, what it means to be kind, what it means to forgive, what it means to understand. It says in here what God's like. It says in here what we're like. All of this is in here. And so what our lives are to be is to a daily holding fast to the word of life so that we can know how to do life. That's what the Bible says to do. And so this whole idea of faithful obedience is not me just saying, well, that's the way my dad raised me, and now I'm trying my best to do the way my dad raised me. That's not it. It is a, here's what God says, and now I'm holding tight to what God says. And whether a lot of people come along or whether not many people come along, we're holding fast to this and wanting to be obedient there. Let me show it to you like this, okay? This will will help you think through obedience, right? I'm not sure where you're at or what you're thinking about for you is, is an area of obedience that you need right now. We all, all of us have areas that we need to be more obedient. Could be something as simple as being consistent with church. Could be something as big as that you need to quit being a liar. You may be here today thinking that you lie still a lot. You twist the truth, you exaggerate, you, you tell little white lies, and, and you're just not as honest as you know you need to be, Right? Or like I said, it could be that you know you need to be here regularly and you've not gotten to that yet. Whatever the obedience is, and obviously there's a lot of worse things than that, but uh, whatever the obedience is, but I want to show you something. When, when you see somebody in anything that's obedient, let's just say obedience is over there by the piano. Now, life is not one giant step to over there. It's not. And you've got to understand this about obedience. If you want to be that obedient over there, You know how you get there? This step of obedience, 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 this step of obedience. And then you know what you have? You've got a life over here that kind of looks like it's really obedient. But it wasn't that giant step. If you were here last Sunday, you heard me tell that story of being in chapel when I was in school and I saw that, those young kids sitting there in worship. You remember me tell that story? And I was so amazed at that, right? I assure you that the mom and dad didn't just show up one day to their first ever worship service and say, hey, here's how it's gonna go, all right? You're gonna sit right there and you're never gonna get up and you're gonna hold your Bible and you're gonna read and follow along and then they did it every single chapel for the rest of their lives. That's not how it worked, 
They were getting up trying to go to the bathroom. They were dropping their Bible. They were doing all those things that are big distractions, but they worked on it, right? They worked on it. And the little steps got to where there was a picture of something that looked like obedience. And so it is, listen, and so it is in a, in a marriage that goes for a really long time. Or so it is to a, listen, to a neighbor that loves his neighbor well for a really, really, really long time. Obedience, y'all, is not something that we freak out over. It's not something that we obsess over. But it's something that the Bible speaks to. He says, you're always obedient, Philippian church. But now even more so, I want you to work out what God's working in. And when you see people that call themselves Christians, when you see people that call themselves Christians, who aren't concerned with being obedient, it makes you wonder what's going on. But when you see people who want to obey in humility, with repentance, with sacrifice, it is encouraging to you that that is the picture of God working in the life of his children. Obedience proves the children of God. But number two, obedience promotes our efforts. And when you're in this type of work like I am, I'm glad that the Bible says this. Look at verse 16. Holding fast to the word of life, look at this. I can't believe he says it. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. What a thought. Paul literally says to the church, man, I hope you guys will be obedient so that one of these days I'll be proud about what, what I've done for y'all's sake for God's sake, that there would be some proof there. It promotes our efforts. Everybody see that? Isn't that cool? I got the opportunity yesterday to go to a conference. I was at a conference all day yesterday for, a, for student ministry. It was for, for a high school. And in some of their breakout sessions, they had some missionaries there, y'all. They had some missionaries there. They were 70 years old, and they had been missionaries in West Africa, the country of Ghana, for the last 20 years. They didn't even go until they were 50 years old. They were country bumpkins from E-Town that went on a short-term mission trip one time to Ghana, Africa, and felt like this is where we need to be, came back, quit their careers, sold everything, and went to Ghana, and they've been there ever since. At age 50, and now they're age 70. Incredible story. But check this out. They went there with a heart for kids. All right? Their names are Bob and Bonnie. All right? I got to see them and meet them yesterday. They, went, they had a heart for kids. After they had been there for a while, listen to this, okay? After they had been there for a while, they started backyard Bible clubs, kind of like doing a VBS on the spot, a one or two day VBS type of thing to try to get kids there, kind of out in the open, you do it out in a field or something like that. Their first ever one in 2001 had 50 kids, pretty cool. In 2020, in Ghana, there are 524 backyard Bible clubs with 20,000 kids attending. 20,000 kids from Ghana are in a Bible study because 50-year-old then, 70-year-old now, Bob and Bonnie from E-Town, Kentucky, went there and wanted to be obedient to God. 
Does obedience prove efforts? You better believe it does. You find somebody who knows what it's like to do what chapter one says, striving together. And what you'll have after you strive together for a while is you'll have some fruit and you'll say, God used that. God used that. God used that. You look at something that's going on now and you say, man, I remember, I remember when we met. Y'all, this week I had somebody send me a picture of when I baptized them in 2012. And they were saying they're thankful for that then and they're thankful for that now. Y'all, when you see obedience, somebody got baptized, what, seven, eight years ago, and yet now they're still wanting to be a part of the church, it proves or promotes our efforts. Now, don't get me wrong. We can say the flip side to this, too. We can say that there is a lot of discouragement when we see a lot of work happening or effort happening and nothing that comes from it, right? And we know that that's true. But let's go back to the word of God where Paul writes to them that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Now listen, if you take this too big and too big picture, you know that, God, that Paul also teaches us through God's word that God is in charge of the results, right? And Paul is also the guy who would say, hey, regardless of what's going on with you all, I know that I didn't run in vain. I did what God wanted me to do, right? We know that. We know the story of Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet, who's known as the weeping prophet because he was always crying. Because for 52 years, Jeremiah kept saying, God says to repent, God says to repent, and God says to repent. And God's people never repented. Jeremiah had this dark, gloomy ministry career where all he did was preach God's word and nobody responded. That's what Jeremiah is about. We know that God put him in that position and that's the way it works. So we're not going to go overboard with this, but I do want us to see that there is encouragement when our efforts to make disciples, when our efforts to love people, when our efforts to witness to Christ, see obedience go along with it. We recently started a ladies prayer breakfast here at our church. I'm thankful for Erica Overstreet and they've been doing this now for just a few months. Once a month on a Saturday morning at 9 o'clock in the morning, any lady that wants to can come here and, and pray and have breakfast and be encouraged with other ladies. It's awesome. There's several good things about that. Anybody can come. Nobody has to pray out loud. And as we see women that are praying women, we will be encouraged by obedience that promoted that effort. This past weekend, we did our 24 hours of prayer. We started this years ago. We try to be committed to prayer here. We want to pray a lot. We know that we need God. And so we had people here for 24 hours straight, one hour at a time, from Friday at 5 to Saturday at 5, praying. It was cool. It was a lot of, a lot of seeking the Lord that happened here for our church this weekend. You know what I've heard a few times here recently? Especially from some newer people that are just getting involved. I hear people say, you know, one of the things that really encouraged me about this church is that y'all pray a lot. 
I heard some people comment that now that we've added the pastoral prayer time in the service, that those prayers are long. Hey, if we're known for praying a lot, obedience promotes our efforts. If we're known as being a praying church, to God be the glory. If we're trying to emphasize prayer and we're praying more, to God be the glory. Obedience promotes our efforts. Paul tells the Philippian church, keep being obedient to Jesus. I'll be proud of the work I did for your sake. And then lastly, and I love this, obedience makes believers happy. Look how the passage ends. He already said he wants to be proud, and, and that good, healthy sense of pride is a, is a good thing. It's, it, it's, it's happy and joyful, but look at 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. All that language there about drink offering or whatever is Paul saying that if this costs me my life for your sake. That's all he's saying, is if this costs me my life, if I end up dying for the cause, for your sake, I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. And then he says, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I mean, what a letter, right? A letter to a church saying, come on, keep being obedient. You've always obeyed, but work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Keep being obedient and it'll make me joyful and I know it'll make you joyful too. And is that not true? Is that not true, that obedience makes believers happy? If y'all had enough hours left today, I could go on and on and on where you faithful church people have stepped up in obedience and I said, yes, I love this. This made my day. You showing up here today, you calling, you reaching out, you already doing it, you taking care of a family, you doing a hospital visit. I probably said this last week, but I'm gonna say it again. Last Friday was February the 14th, Valentine's Day. And I went to visit Miss Ramey Samuels, who's been homebound here a little bit lately, and she is here today. I went to visit her on Tuesday with a group of people. We were checking on her, say how you're doing and all that. You know what she told us? She told us a young lady in our church, I don't think she's here today, Heather Bronson, came by on Valentine's Day and sat there with her for an hour. And Miss Ramey said it meant the world to her. Miss Ramey's Valentine died a year ago. She's a widow now and doesn't have her husband on Valentine's Day. That's heavy, right? And Heather Bronson, a young lady in our church, she's like 25 years old, goes to her house in Valentine's and sits with her for an hour and talks and shares about life and all that. And Miss Ramey was just telling us over and over and over again how much that meant to her. You know what? That makes me happy. That made her happy. That me sharing that with you all should make you happy, right? This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. When people say, I love God and I want to live for him, it makes the other people who have that same heart joyful. It does. Now, I want to be careful here and I'll be real sensitive to this. If obedience in the life of believers doesn't make you joyful, you might want to check your heart. Now, I know that at times we're suffering and painful and we're going through a lot and it's hard for us to find joy and that's why I'm saying I'm being sensitive. I know that you may be going through it and you ain't smiled in a long time and I'm sensitive to that and I care. But obedience in the life of a believer should make you happy. It should make you joyful. If God says he changes hearts and makes people obey, 
and then you see somebody desiring to obey, you should be saying, to God be the glory. To God be the glory. Thank you, God, for working in people. Thank you for giving me a church that loves me. Lately, between babies and, and hospitals and all of that, we've been having to do a lot of meals. We try to get meals for people that need meals. If you need a meal, please let us know. We'll get you a meal. And it takes me about that long to find somebody to get a meal for somebody. I mean, it's like the easiest thing in the world. I just send a text. I don't even have to call them. Hey, somebody needs a meal. Got it. I'm on it. Right? Quick as can be. So easy. It's a small little thing, but it's a big picture of people wanting to obey. And what I love about the New Testament letters is that Paul is a missionary who's far away, thinking about a church that's far away, but he cares for them. He cares enough that he prays for them. He cares enough that he writes to them. And in doing that, he's saying, be obedient. Obedience proves that God is a savior and that we're his children. Obedience proves that our efforts, or it promotes our efforts, it shows that what we're doing is not a waste. It shows that what we're doing is worthwhile. It shows that, hey, God may not grow every seed, but God grows seeds, and it makes believers happy. In short, folks, here's what we need to know. Obedience is about Jesus. In a sermon like this or a passage like this, really causes us to examine, are we focused on Jesus? Does grumbling and complaining stick to you? Do you have a desire to be blameless and innocent? Do you know that this world is, hey, these, these are not our words, the wor this world is a crooked and twisted generation, and God wants us to be lights there. You know, when we get home late at night, you literally have seven people jump out of a van and we all drop stuff. And if it's really important, then we'll say, you better get back out there and start looking through it. And it's rained so much lately that the yard is like half grass and half mud. We try to teach the kids, don't walk through the grass and the mud because then you carry the wet mud into the house. Right? Use the driveway, use the sidewalk, go up the steps, stop making a mess. But that doesn't happen either. And so stuff gets spread out in the yard. And if it's important, we'll say, hey, get out there and find it. And that's really just parents being parents because you know they're not going to find it. It's dark, right? And sometimes we'll say, you know, go, go grab you a flashlight, right? They can't find it out there in the dark, right? But you know what almost always happens the next morning once the sun comes up? You get out there and it's like, oh, yeah, there it is. There it is. Folks, God wants us to be a light. He even says here, a shining light in the world. Not because we're good, not because we're earning anything, but because we want to obey God. That the world would see a faithful commitment to God. And it would stand out. It would be like the sun shining in darkness. There is a world of people who are not trying to be obedient to God. Now listen, there is a world of people out there who are trying to be good, right? The world is not all bad. Be careful. There are a lot of people out there trying to do good in the world. There are a lot of people out there trying to be kind in the world, right? But there are not people out there trying to obey God carefully, because of how much God loves them. And we 
are to be people who understand that our desire for obedience is a light shining in darkness. May you today commit to Christ and may God work in you an obedient heart. If you are not desiring to obey, would you consider today turning to Jesus? Would you repent and say, God, that is not good. It's not good that I'm indifferent to obedience. Would you turn to Christ today, believe him, trust him, and aim for faithful obedience? Father in heaven, thank you for Philippians chapter two. Thank you, God, for all the things that we can learn from obedience. Dear God, we pray that you would help us. Help us, God, to start to know that we're not earning anything, but help us, God, to want to obey. Help us to sense and feel and and be convicted by what your spirit is doing in us. God, make us obedient. God, we're often disobedient, so make us repentant, obediently repentant. Father, thank you for all the good that we have seen can come from obedience. We worship you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.